the biggest thing for me is learning to trust my judgment, learning to recognize when a situation is really challenging, whether it's a short-term situation or an ongoing situation, when it's really challenging, my mind, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, my mind starts to undermine me. I have with me leadership coach and author of the brilliant book, Inspire, Influence and Sell. Plus, he's just launched his new book, Coaching Leaders, Justin Lee, who's going to help me dive into the selling mindset and why it's important today to think about how we sell ourselves and why we could be doing that so much better. And if you've not yet subscribed to this podcast, please hit that little plus button at the top of the app because you seriously don't want to miss out on the episodes that could change your mindset and life that are coming this year. And I'm looking forward to welcoming my good friend, Justin Lee. How are you? Good afternoon, Paul. I am really well, thanks. Really well. How are you doing? I am very, very good. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Mm. Uh, I said this would be quite challenging. Uh, I don't want to make this a boring interview. I know that when we work together, uh, we really do um, help each other through really challenging and getting each other to really think through with, you know, our coaching mm. work. So yes. I want to say congratulations on your new book. Thank you. Uh, coaching, coaching leaders unlock your leadership power. And uh, one I've actually read most of is Inspire, Influence and Sell. Mm-hmm. But for the audience, for the audience, lovely. So for the audiences, though, are these just normal, are these just run-of-the-mill business books? Why should they read, for example, Inspire, Influence and Sell? Because it just looks like a business book. It does look like a business book. You're absolutely right, Paul. And th- it's not. <laughs> It's the short answer. I I deliberately wrote Inspire, Influence, Sell as a book that would help people to think about their professional and personal growth. So it goes way beyond just a sales training manual or a sales book. Uh, The subtitle of Inspire, Influence, Sell is Master the Psychology, Skills and Systems of the World's Best Sales Teams. And even if you're not in a sales role, one of the things that's really important, I think, throughout life and certainly in, in your career is to learn how to communicate effectively, influence other people and start to sell your ideas. And, and that's the big thing. Inspire, influence, sell. Once it's written for a, a sales professional and, and they'll get massive value from it. Anybody who is interacting with customers, managing other people, having to interact with other people in their organization, they have to learn to communicate and it really does help you to think about a structure for communication and then thinking beyond that to okay what do I want for my career what do I want for my life how do I start to develop and grow myself and my potential so you know that's me extolling the virtues of the book but it really does come at sales and communication from a completely different angle yeah and if we if we don't know how to sell ourselves you know, a lot of people are jumping onto social media bandwagons now, becoming influencers. They want to become self-employed, be entrepreneurial. So learning mm. to sell is a very important aspect. So what is the cost then of not knowing how to communicate and how to sell? I think the cost is probably irrelevance. <laughs> ah. if, you, if you're not able to, if you're not able to effectively communicate, influence, sell to other people 
I think you find yourself just just not being able to connect with people, not being able to make the progress you want and achieve your goals, because we all have ideas, we all have aspirations. And if you haven't got the ability to communicate those aspirations, get people on board that can help you to meet and achieve them, then ultimately you're going to constrain your own progress. And it depends what you know what you want for yourself in your life. Certainly, I remember, you know, I went into sales reluctantly at the age of about 20, between 21 and 22. I say reluctantly because it wasn't a career path I chose. It was more of a move away from the job I was in at the time. And within probably three to four years of being in a sales position, learning how to communicate to customers, learning how to engage and influence, the difference that gave me in my own personal confidence and my ability to then start to set and achieve different types of goals for myself was really quite it, it, quite a transformation from you know before I had those skills to afterwards. It's been something that you know I continually work on now, and it, and I can see the distinct difference it makes in my you know career, well being, and ultimately I guess you know success over over the long term. No, I mean it's obviously quite a journey for you. I mean, sales is like a dirty word still, isn't it? Yeah. Is, that, is that what people it often, is, yeah. you know, when I, when I mm. work with clients and their mindsets around sales, you can see them all, almost begin to curl up. And I've had that sort of feeling myself when it comes to people saying, mm. you need to market your business this way. You need to market the podcast that way. And there's a, there's a small part of me that says, ah, I don't know. I don't want to feel like I'm pushing myself mm. onto people and, um, you know, uh, again, make, looking at making it look cheap. Um, so what yeah. what is the mindset that we need to get into when it comes to sales? Is there a different word? Is there a, a different perspective? What is it that would help someone? Yeah, I agree. You're absolutely right. Sales. I don't meet many people who say I want to be a salesperson. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's not. It's not something you hear people say. That's my aspiration. People tend to fall into sales, or they find themselves with an opportunity and they take it and move into sales. I think, you know, the big thing for the big perception shift for me, because the first couple of years in sales, I, I didn't really think of myself as a sales professional. And then I learned how to communicate more effectively. And one of the big shifts that happened for me, so I spent the first couple of years in sales working for a company and I hadn't been trained to communicate effectively. I was kind of winging it, winging it and working it out along the way. Mm. And then when I was finally trained, one of the big shifts that happened for me was this... Uh, changing perception that instead of me trying to pitch and persuade someone around to my point of view, the way that I should be doing it is much more consultative. I should start in my mind with what I'm trying to achieve and have a, have a goal, right? I want to, mm. you know, influence or persuade someone to this point of view, but then change perspective and start to inquire and ask questions of the other person to understand what is it they're trying to achieve. And once I understand what they're trying to achieve, and they, they can be clear about that, and the way you do that, obviously, is to ask questions, listen carefully, summarize what someone tells you, ask more questions, and just get to a point where you truly understand the other person, almost try and meet them where they are. And one of the analogies you know, I, I think about and I use in my uh, coaching is you know, actually think instead of being on the other opposite side of the table from somebody else, try and get round to their side of the table. Try and sit alongside them, not in opposition to them. And if you can get alongside somebody and really, really understand them and empathize and create rapport and establish a relationship from that position, 
you're much better equipped then to be able to talk to them about how you can help them or how your ideas actually match with what they're trying to achieve as well. And that was a huge shift in thinking for me and has been transformational to the point where now, you know, I'm quite proud of working in sales, helping sales teams, sales leaders to do the, the work that they do best, which is to engage their customers, understand what they need and help them to meet those needs at the highest level. And just that shift in perspective can be hugely impactful because you start to think differently about either the work you're doing or the conversation you're having or the way in which you're trying to help the other person rather than sell to them. You're trying to help them meet a need or solve a problem. That, that's the big shift. Yeah, that is a big mindset shift, isn't it? And I think that when I learned that, mm. when, uh, when, if we're coaching that, just finding out what the other person really needs, what is it that they truly want and can I help yes. them? It becomes it becomes less salesy and more about am I the yeah. right person to help you? Uh, so that, that's a huge yeah. thing. What do you think? Mm. What mistakes do you think people make when it comes to trying to sell? You know, when it comes to that mindset. So if they're if they're not doing that, mm. trying to, if I'm not trying to help you, that's one mistake. You know, they're just trying to just almost like you know, uh, bang a square peg into a round hole and you'll take my product. What mistake? Yeah. What other mistakes are there that people make when it comes to selling themselves or, um, you know, their products, etc.? I think the big, yeah, the big one is that that pitching an idea or pitching a, a product or solution or you know, and it doesn't just have to be in sales. You know, in life generally, we can make the mistake of just trying to force someone's opinion to to, to change to our own, and that's really difficult. You know, if you've ever tried to persuade something someone of something when they're in a completely opposite position and you haven't tried to empathize or understand their position first, your chances of persuading them are slim to none because what happens is that you immediately get this resistance. And and if you think about it for yourself, right? If somebody's trying to persuade you of something and they're of the opposite opinion to you, if they don't take the time to understand your position, empathize with it and, and clarify it before they start to talk about their own position, our guard goes straight up. And it's the same in sales. If you try and pitch a product to a customer, it's what, I think it's why cold calling is so difficult. And, mm. you know, I talk to a lot of companies who actually they've really had to change their approach because just trying to talk at people doesn't work anymore. You really do have to get this more consultative, more customer-led approach if you want to be successful to influence somebody else. And so, so the big mistake is, you know, tr trying to pitch your ideas or trying to persuade someone of something that is completely opposite to where they are today. And, and there are things you can do that are successful, but you do have to understand somebody else's position, you know, clarify, empathize, summarize. And if you can do that from there, the other person is much more likely to want to change their, their opinion, change their mind and work with you. Without any of that in place, you, you are, you know, pushing water uphill. I mean, it's such an important skill, isn't it? Just to be able to understand mm. another person's needs and to see if what you have is going to be the best option for someone. Um, yeah. And being able to to listen, to engage, but to communicate effectively. What, you know, going back for you, going back to you, how mm. did you get into this? My fir I first got into sales. So I was originally, I was a, a technician working in a laboratory. And I served an apprenticeship, finished four years, and then realized at the end of that four years, I didn't want to work in a, you know, the same, the same room or the mm. same um, business for, for my kind of career. So I then was looking for other alternatives and went into sales. 
So I was on a territory and it was back in kind of early to mid nineties. So there were no mobile phones. The internet hadn't been broadly distributed. So I, I literally was given 11 yellow pages, a box of blank record cards and told to go out and map my territory and make it my own, which I, which I did, you know, I didn't realize there was any other way. So that's what I did. Mm. So there were lots of challenges in those early days, you know, right the way from how do you plan what you're doing? How do you engage someone brand new? And you, I was literally cold calling, walking through the door of at the time it was dental practices, walking through the door of a dental practice. And you can imagine the receptionist would kind of look and go roll, roll her eyes. Oh yeah, who's this uh, person walked in now? What do they want? So, so it's quite that was quite challenging in itself, but learning some of those rapport building skills, learning some of those things that you could do to connect with somebody quite early on. If you don't figure those things out, and if you don't manage yourself first, that's the big thing for me, you know, mindset, confidence, actually going in with the intention of establishing a relationship, not trying to sell. That's mm. the big thing, because if you put the pressure on yourself to to try and influence and persuade someone straight away, that pressure, uh, as you'll know, Paul, that pressure is felt not only by you, but the other person, they can sense it. So you've got to learn to relax got to learn to trust yourself you've got to learn to make that you know actually my first objective is not to sell it's to connect and build a relationship and once I've connected and built a relationship then I can start to understand if there's an opportunity for us to work together but until that happens you know I should actually go back to that primary objective which is establish relationship and when you think about when you're trying to persuade and influence anybody of anything your friends family colleagues your your manager if you're in a in a job you know Actually, if you don't seek first to get that relationship established, build trust and rapport, you really are going to struggle to influence and persuade anybody. So you have to start there. And I've relearned that lesson so many times in my career where I'm in a position where I think this isn't going the way it should go. And the big miss or the big gap is that I don't have a strong enough relationship here to influence this person. And so you have to go back sometimes to those steps. And it, it, for me, it's the same in a sales conversation. It's the same in a leadership conversation, a coaching conversation. If that trust isn't established, if trust isn't high, being able to effectively influence, persuade or challenge somebody it is really, really difficult. You, you, you trip yourself up before you start. Yeah. So do you think that's, you know, relearning that, is that your biggest mindset challenge, do you think? Or has there been something else that you've struggled with, which has been, you know, a, you know, a good lesson to learn? And you, you may have come through it, or you may still be struggling with it. Is there something which, hmm. you know, you know, the audience might be able to relate to uh, with your own struggles? Yeah, the biggest thing for me, I think, is not. I don't think it's that relearning to connect with people. The biggest thing for me is learning to trust my judgment, learning to recognize when a situation is really challenging, whether it's a short-term situation or an ongoing situation, when it's really challenging, my mind, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, my mind starts to undermine me. It'll okay. start to put, put in these little, you know, is this going to work? Why are you doing this? You know, are, are you even, you know, able to to help this person? You know, those those little things that start to creep in those doubts, and the big transformation for me is, is being able to be aware of the, that, that internal dialogue, mm -hmm. to be able to 
separate and distance myself from it, recognize that that voice isn't mine or it's not me. It may be a voice in my mind, but it's not me. Mm. And that I can actually start to not only distance myself from it, but talk myself around. So bring myself to the point where that voice doesn't have to have any effect on me. I can recognize it for what it is. It's a protection or defense mechanism. I can rationalize with it and start to give some evidence to say, actually, you know, these things are in place. There was this positive response. This is, you know, the plan and we're working on it. And and just those simple changes in mindset have been really beneficial. But I do have I do find that I revisit them on a regular basis. I revisit those conversations with myself because I think it's interesting. I, I I do some work on mindset as part of the programs I run with sales teams and leadership teams. And I always quote some um, statistics from, I think it's the American Psychological Association, where they did quite an in-depth research study on default thinking. Yeah. And what they found was that, generally speaking, you know, if, uh, in, in this huge cohort in this study they did, that 50% of the time when the mind's, so the mind's job is to create thoughts, as we know, but 50% of the time, those thoughts will default to negative. Okay. And, and it is part of a defense kind of protection mechanism. And if we recognize that and we can start to reshape our thinking and redirect our thoughts and our focus, then it, then it can be useful and beneficial. But for so many people who haven't been you know, trained how to do that or coached on that, they find themselves following that negative train of thought. And all of a sudden, it can actually physically become quite a barrier to them taking action or doing something they really want to do for, for fear of you know, being undermined almost by themselves. That's, that's the big challenge, I would say. Yeah, I've, I've heard of that study. Uh, I know that the percentages vary a little bit, but one thing that does stand out from it is that 95% of our thoughts are repetitive. So 50% mm. onwards is negative. And unless you're choosing to have new thoughts, which lead to new feelings and new behaviors, you're simply just going to repeat yesterday, which is quite a scary thought. Mm. It is a scary thought. It is a scary thought. And, and, you know, I think it's why it's why setting, you know, personal and professional goals is so important, I think. You know, for me, early in my career, I, I was just doing what I did and, you know, kind of drifting along uh, dr- because I didn't know any better. And it wasn't until I started to get more interested in my own professional and personal development, started reading started kind of researching okay what 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 do the successful people on this planet do how do they get there how do they think and and you know book by book uh insight by insight i, I started to recognize this uh, this opportunity to start to set goals for myself and start to create you know a plan for for work and for my life mm. and that really has been transformational because if at any point i do find myself you know in, following that negative train of thought, I can bring myself back to what are the goals I've set for myself? What am I trying to achieve? Why is that important? And that can recenter me on what, what I'm really looking to achieve rather than just being on default. And for yeah. years, you know, up until probably my, probably until my late 20s, I was on default without even realizing it. I didn't, didn't even realize there was another option. Just a quick break to say I am so excited to announce a brand new podcast channel to help you transform your life in ways you might not yet be able to imagine. 
2023, we are kicking your ass. Now, this is a channel of experimental content I know you are going to love. Now, Mindset Change Another Level has exclusive deeper subconscious training meditations to help you upgrade your long overdue programs that are holding you back in life. You also get searchable meditations with our ads, intros and outros so you can find your favorites super easily. You get access to masterminds to help take your mindset change to another level and you get to engage with me in a whole new way. And as a thank you for supporting the new channel, you get discounts from my group workshops too. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes and come and join. Oh, and feel free to come and join my WhatsApp community too. I can't wait to welcome you. That's the, that's the thing though, isn't it? You don't know what you don't know. So what do you think... Mm. Now, the more you explore mindset, which is very handy being on the mm. Mindset Change podcast, um, <laughs> I mean, what do you think has created the biggest shift for you overall? It, you know, not just per- professionally, but even personally. Is there something that you learned, a light bulb moment, which just went, okay, that's just changed the way I see reality? Yeah, I think the big the big thing was this. So I... I, I trained as an NLP practitioner. Uh, if anybody hasn't heard NLP, I'd be surprised if they're listening to out to this podcast, Paul, because you, I know you talk a lot about um, different um, techniques and principles, but NLP is neuro-linguistic programming. And my understanding of it is, you know, it's about how the body and the mind are connected through the nervous system and how you can start to recondition and redirect your mind and your focus and the impact that has not only on how you think, but how you feel and act. And that's what's really important. Um, And the big shift for me was when I learned about NLP and then I learned about, uh, there's a a coach called Tony Robbins from the US and he reimagined NLP and calls it NAC. So instead of neuro-linguistic programming, he talks about neuro-associative conditioning. And I remember learning about NLP and then learning about uh, neuroassociative conditioning. And, and effectively, what, it's, what the principles say is that you can start to redirect your thoughts. And that was, that was a, a real light bulb for me because up until that point, I hadn't realized I could direct my thoughts. I thought they were on autopilot, you know, just what I thought happened. So that, and it takes a bit of practice. And that's where, you know, the, the neuroassociative conditioning comes in because, you know, anybody listening to this who maybe has had that same light bulb moment, what well, I can direct my thoughts, it's not as easy as, as we think. So actually, you have to go through a process of... What does that mean? Just so sorry, Paul, uh, very quickly, sorry to interrupt, but what does it mean to direct your thoughts? Just so because anyone's there listening thinking, huh? Okay, yeah. So, so you know, the mind, we, we said the mind's job is to, to create thoughts, right? It's to just produce thoughts in, in our mm. in our head. But those thoughts aren't random. They don't have to just surface as and when. We can actually start to, if a thought comes up that I'm not comfortable with, I don't have to accept that thought. I can say, well, hold on a minute. Instead of that, why don't I think about this instead? Or actually, what do I want to think okay. instead of that? And yep. in your mind, you can change it. So if, if for example, a big example for me used to be, if I'd go into uh, like an event or a big meeting, or if I was public speaking, and in my mind, I'd already start to feel really anxious. And 
I recognize that if I thought about being anxious, then that is exactly what would happen. And I could be anxious well before the event and during the event. But if I changed my thinking and started to redirect my thoughts, so, so I literally would pause and say, okay, instead of being anxious, how do I want to feel instead? And so then I'd say, okay, so I want to feel confident. I want to feel calm. I want to feel collected. I want to feel excited. And just that shift in thinking enabled me to start to change. Now, it didn't. It wasn't as simple as the first time I redirected my thoughts. I was able to then be calm, confident, collected. But over time, when I was in those different situations and I continued to redirect my focus, and instead of allowing my mind to go into default and make me feel nervous, I would say, actually, Justin, you know, there's a, there's a great um, video by Simon Sinek where he talks about fear and excitement as being two sides of the same coin yeah. and that all of your physiological responses are the same. So when you're feeling fearful versus when you're feeling excited, there's a lot of commonality, you know, uh, clammy palms, elevated heart rate. Uh, maybe sometimes you feel a little bit... Um, you know, it, it heady, and, and that is exactly the same. All those symptoms are the same as excitement. So if in your mind you can get to the point where you say, well, perhaps I'm feeling excited instead of fearful. Actually, what if, what if this was excitement? How, how do I switch this to excitement? Those questions and that redirection and focus can help you to move really quickly from one state to another. Um, and learning that and then relearning it, repeating it, repeating it, repeating it over and over again. You know, early, early on when I learned these principles, I was... I, got a bit frustrated because I couldn't get them to work every time. And there'll still be the odd occasion where I have to work harder at it. But the more you do this, you know, this is the conditioning part. The more you do this, the more easy it becomes and the more effective you are at being able to change your emotional and, and psychological state when you need to. And that was the big thing for me. I can actually change my psychological and emotional state when I need to. And if you told 20-year-old Justin you will be able to control your emotional and psychological state through, you know, self-coaching, through, you know, redirecting your focus and your mind. I, I would have struggled to believe you because in, back then I didn't have that level of uh, ability. And it's something you do have to practice. I mean, that is incredibly powerful. Yeah, it's fear mm. and um, excitement are technically, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure how, how is there is there much in a way difference but they are in physiology pretty much the same but it's our perception yeah. that creates you know our story that creates our experience um so yeah that's incredibly Absolutely. powerful um i'm gonna dive into a, a mm -hmm. question that uh i wonder what you're how you're gonna respond to this one but what what do you think you're looking like you're looking like you've got a face of dread there what am i gonna say um so i'm gonna <laughs> ask you what what bullshit is mostly spoken in your world what you know in the mindset world in in leadership in in sales what's the big thing that gets you to roll your eyes and think no this isn't true the <laughs> bullshit stuff yeah, yeah. I, I i think i think the big thing is you know this whole thing about pitch and um persuasion you know people do need people do want to be led i, I firmly believe that um but to if you're just pitching ideas or if as a leader you know if you're just directing and pushing people uh short term you can get some results but if you want to be overly pushy or persuasive you can you can get people to react and respond but what i've learned over the years I'm, so i've been 
I've been doing either sales or leadership for about 28 years now. I was 50 last year. It's about 20, it's been 29 years this year. And the thing I've learned is that you can get some short-term results and impact from either being pushy or pitchy or, or being you know directive as a, either a leader or a salesperson. But if you want long-term, sustainable, long-lasting relationships, results, and performance, you have to change your outlook. You have to start to you know, in, engage with people, ask great questions, be curious, coach them, start to change the way they think and help them to do that in a way where they accept those changes, they don't resist them. Uh, and what you'll find is that you'll get much more sustainable long-term results. And it's the same for managing ourselves. If we if we don't show ourselves, you know, compassion, kindness, empathy, actually, you know, the amount of times earlier in my life, you know, early 20s, I would I would be frustrated and almost almost be in conflict with myself. It was strange. And then I found that I, I could I really struggled to change when I was in that conflict state. Whereas as soon as I started to be a bit more appreciative of, of myself, a bit kinder to myself, a bit more understanding and empathetic, and I know that sound, it might sound a bit strange being empathetic with yourself, but I think yeah. you will know what I mean. As you start to accept yourself for who you are, and that you lower the resistance to change. And so for me, there's that, there's that whole, the big, the big myth or the big misconception is push, 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 you know, the grind, direct, you know, push people and you'll get some form of change. I don't think you get sustainable change. It takes a more empathetic approach for, to change ourselves and to change people around us. And then that becomes much more sustainable and people want to be part of that change rather than resisting it. That's the big thing mm. for me. Uh, that's really powerful. I mean, that, that's what you talk about mm. in your book, uh, Coaching Leaders, Unlock Your Leadership Superpower. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so what is, it, what is, what is leadership superpower? Yeah, for me, the big co it is coaching as a leadership style. Because yeah. so I, I had multiple, you know, leadership positions, both in sales, business. Um, and now, of course, I run my own business. And the thing I the thing I noticed early in my leadership career uh, I, it was probably a couple of years before I had some formal leadership development and in particular coaching. So my first couple of attempts at leadership, I, I wasn't leading, I was managing. And if any of your listeners have been or are in you know positions where they're working in a business or they're working in a functional role and they're good at what they do, if you're really good at what you do, if you're a high performer, what happens is at some point, someone probably will say to you, you should try management. And you think, that's a great idea. It's the next you know, natural career progression for me. And unless you're given some, some direction and some guidance and some coaching, what very often happens, and I've noticed it with myself, I've noticed it with my clients, noticed it with peers when I was in leadership positions, you move from high performer to manager and you, you make this assumption that everybody thinks and acts like you do. And then you start managing a team and you recognize that you're in the top 10%. And that's why you're now a manager. <laughs> and you think, oh, well, it's just easy. I'll just tell them what to do. And what happens is people resist it because they're like, well, can't, you, 
you, you haven't done my job. I've got a very specific set of circumstances, Justin. That I, it won't necessarily work your way. And you meet this resistance without realizing it. A lot of this is, they don't, people don't say this to you. They just resist, you know, this passive resistance. And the only way, you know, I've, I've found out the hard way. A couple of years, it was a really hard slog in a management position where I was like, why on earth can't I seem to get, you know, a change in people's perception, a change in performance? And it wasn't until I went on a coaching course and I learned the power of coaching that everything changed. And I, and I had to stop myself then from being directive, from telling people what to do, from picking up on faults to starting to harness people's own internal motivation. So the reason coaching as a leadership superpower or is a leadership superpower is yep. because it starts to harness people's own intrinsic motivation to improve their performance, improve their responsibility, and ultimately their, their performance and potential in the future. So it, it took me a while to, to realize that. It took me a while then to actually change and implement that. And, and the book really is a roadmap to starting with you, uh, if you're a leader, starting with you to assess your current position, think about the way that you currently manage and, and your perspective of your people, start to introduce some concepts and ideas of leadership, not management, because you know the big thing is we manage tasks, we lead people, mm -hmm. and get people to so start with your own perspective shift, then introduce some ideas about how you can manage yourself, because if anybody is in a leadership position listening to this, they will know it's the most difficult role in any business, because you don't, you don't get a lot of thanks for it. You get a lot more pressure. Very often you're stuck in the middle of, you know, trying to meet business objectives and trying to manage your team and keep everybody, you know, motivated, engaged and, and satisfied. It's a really difficult position, uh, leadership. And so once you understand those difficulties and you change your per perception of it, then you can start to introduce a structure. And, and the, the book Coaching Leaders works through, we, we call it the coach model which helps people go through five different stages of building relationships, building trust, building clarity with their teams, setting and, and agreeing expectations, letting your team perform at a higher level and then coaching them and developing them and helping them to think about their careers and their, a greater contribution in your business. And it, as a structure, it, it's, it's a really great roadmap, but it starts right at the beginning with that differentiation around what is coaching and leadership and what is management. And do you think that we all have like an inner leader? Are we all capable of unlocking our leadership superpower? I mean, cause I guess that this is obviously that's great within coaching and the business world, but in life mm. itself, you know, um, I'm often reminded by the people that I get to coach that they're, you know, they're, from whatever reason following and yet they have such power mm. in themselves to take more control and to be more of the creator of their life um do you mm. think your book is would help someone who was looking at unlocking their own inner leader or, or do you have any advice for someone mm. who's sort of thinking actually do you know what i'm a bit bored of following um you know life and being maybe a sheeple as we sometimes uh, derogatory say what is it that would help someone let that out? Yeah, do you know, I think I think when I think about my my past experiences, it's really important that we have leaders and followers, right? Because even leaders, 
So as a, as a leader in a business, I was still following, you know, my business director or vice yep. president, you know, so I was still having to lead my organization and be a follower. So I think you'll always end up doing both. I think it's important that you recognize that. Yep. But the first thing I think is, is having that desire for leadership. I, I've seen people promoted into management or leadership positions who didn't want the promotion or didn't want the position. And that in itself was the reason that they weren't successful or, or didn't, or didn't, didn't get the results they were looking for. So I think that that first point is really important. If you want to be a leader, there's this, um, the definition of the word desire is about igniting thought. And it, it, if you think about it, if you have a thought, if there's something you really want, the reason you really want it is because it's possible. That's what I believe. I believe if you really want something enough, the reason you want it is because it's possible. So if somebody's listening to this, they're like, yeah, I'm, at the moment I'm in a, you know, a, a position where I, I'm a, a, maybe an individual contributor and actually I'd really like to move into leadership. The fact that you want to do it is the ignition and the, and the motivation and the resource you need to do it. Then it's about finding the, the best approach, finding mentors, finding a structure and your and your own self-confidence to enable you to do it so i think everybody does have the capability but they have to want to do it and then it's not enough to just want to do it that for me is that you know i talk about psychology skills and systems wanting to do something having the desire to do something is the psychology i want, I want that but you know just wanting something isn't good enough <laughs> you have to be capable and even if you're not capable today, it doesn't mean you can't be capable in you know three, six, 12 months time, but you have to then start to develop your skills. So you have to develop the right approach. You have to start to work on your communication. You have to read and research. You have to try some things out. You have to be prepared to try and fail and then try again. You might fail again and then try again and then you'll succeed. So you have to be prepared to, to take those risks, take that action, and be resilient enough in the face of failure to keep trying. And that's a big part of skills, a learned skill. It links then back to the psychology. Do I have the mindset to continue and succeed? So you've got you know, the right mindset, the right desire. I think that's the foundation. Then you've got to develop the right skills. As I said, very often that's communication. Whatever we're trying to do normally is communication skills, really important for, for any of us in any of our roles. And then the final piece of the puzzle that I've learned is to systemize. So if I've got really good skills and I'm super motivated, actually, if I tear around doing the wrong things at the wrong point in time, I still won't succeed. I have to understand, right, when is the time to have a reset conversation with somebody? When is the right time to sit down and spend some time talking about objectives? When is the right time for a coaching conversation? When's the right time to just say to somebody, look, course correct we just need to move and, and, and do something mm. different and and that knowledge you only get that knowledge to to some degree through experience and you know experience is code for i messed up a lot learned a lot re, you know redirected and was able to correct um, but then the structure and the system is about looking for you know the cues the clues for success success does leave clues so following and if somebody has already done something multiple times over and over again, and you know, for me, it's coaching as a leader, the, I, I've 
documented it, roadmapped it. It's it's not only in the book, we run programs on it, but that's a really important distinction for people. Have the desire, develop the skills, follow a structure that you know will work. And you don't have to figure this these things out for yourself. There's so many people have got this these experiences that they can start to present you with the roadmap so you can follow in their footsteps. Nice. Nice. We haven't mm. got long left before we're coming to the end of our interview, but I wanted to ask you, because I know that besides being an amazing coach and you um, help so many people in, the way of, in, in regards to their unlocking their inner leader and learning how to sell, uh, but you also run a mental health group, men's mental health group. I do, Paul. Yes. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, so I set about up. that because that might it... appeal to someone. You know, yeah, it might th- be something thanks. that would be really helpful. Yeah, thank, well, thanks for asking. We so uh, back in two thousand and nineteen, um, I, I noticed I've got a number of people in my network, and a couple of them were running w- what they called walk and talk for men groups. Uh, one was in Birmingham, one was in Essex, and I, I kind of see I saw these groups um, kind of you know really kind of trying to support men in their local environment, and I, it just mm. something inspired me. I don't, I personally had had a bit of. Um, a challenging time in 2015 to 17. Uh, it was actually the reason why I left the corporate world was because I was I was in a really high powered job, big American company, lots of pressure, not a lot of empathy, a, a real shift in the culture of the organisation from caring about people to only caring about numbers, and I just kind of I, I got burnt out, and I went through a period of time where where actually was in a it was in a quite dark place, and. I had to do quite a lot of work on myself to get myself, you know, get my well-being re-established, feel good about myself, get, you know, my mental resources um, back to, to, to full strength. And I noticed that the provision of NHS services was really poor. Um, it, it was all online. It was all a bit remote. There was nothing. And this was pre-COVID, so it wasn't anything to do with COVID. Uh, it was all just a, a, just very sparse uh, and poorly organised. And it was that, so that had been in my mind for a while. So roll on to 2019, I saw, you know, these mental health walk talk for men groups. So I decided that I'd start my own. I contacted the guy that founded it and he said, yeah, just, you know, you know, set up a Facebook page and, and go for it. So I set this group up in Cambridgeshire called Walk and Talk for Men Sydneyans. And that started in, so we did our first walk in March, 2021. And first walk, we do it in a nature reserve called Paxton Pits, uh, which is in Cambridgeshire. And the first walk, I put, you know, put together a Facebook page, did a bit of promotion locally, and we had eight men join us for the first walk, which was brilliant. Nice, um, yeah. And one of the guys that turned up at the first walk said, oh, I'd love to be involved in this if you uh, if you want a hand. Um, so he, he almost immediately partnered with me, a guy called Steve Whitney. He's a brilliant guy. And sadly, Steve had lost his son to suicide, you know, 21, 22-year-old son. He'd lost him to suicide. So Steve's desire to want to help was because he'd been through you know he knows his son had been through difficult times uh, with mental health he was then obviously going through a difficult time because it was only I think it was only a year later that he came to that walk so um, Steve and I then started running these walks so we're, we're two and a half years on now and we have a whatsapp group with about 125 130 men in it we regularly get somewhere between 20 and 25 men join our walks we get a continual kind of fresh new um men join us and it's been a it's been an incredible experience we've become you know part of our local community a lot of us get recognized 
Um, we get a lot of men signposted to us through, you know, their GP surgery because, you know, we've got quite a good reach now in terms of local NHS services. We're also right. coordinating with our local mind charity, uh, other men's mental health support groups, uh, including kind of um, cancer um, support groups, that kind of thing, where, where you know, it just we've become, I suppose, a part of the fabric of the local community, which has been which has been incredible, actually, over the last couple of years. Uh, we've now got six of us who are walk ambassadors. So there's um, six, in fact, eight of us who are now supporting the group more, more proactively. So there's a walk, we run a walk every single week. And we've just, you know, some of the stories of men who have joined us who have been in really dark places, you know, had mm. some really difficult challenges to deal with. And the group has become, you know, a, a real support for them to help and provide guidance and, and sometimes just give them someone to talk to, a bit of a community to engage with. And yeah, just, it's probably one of the things I'm most proud of in the last, right. you know, five years since I started working for myself was, was this group and, the community that it's become uh, in our local yeah. local kind of area. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful. Justin, thank you so much mm. for coming on the show. Finally, got you on here. My pleasure. Yeah, my Finally pleasure. Thank you, you Paul. It's been it's been a great conversation. Yeah, I really enjoyed. It. I wanted to sort of just open up about you, what you're going through, and what your your, your experiences are. And I, and I think there's a lot of gold here for uh, my audience. So if anyone's interested in reaching out to you i mean i'll put your details in the show notes anyway but uh, for anyone listening where can people find you so uh so my surname's lee so it's justin lee l-e-i-g-h i am active on linkedin so you'll find me on linkedin i'm active on facebook and on instagram uh, i'm justin lee coach on all three of those channels so social media is probably the best um way to to get in touch uh, my email, I'm happy to share my email. So it's Justin Lee, all one word, at focus4, which is a number four, growth.co.uk. So feel free to email me if you'd like a, a conversation about any of the work that I'm doing. Yeah, I'd be, be delighted to hear from people. Brilliant. Um, again, thank you so much for coming to the show. I hope you have an incredible day. My pleasure. Thanks, Paul. I hope you've got a lot from that episode. I get a lot from talking to Justin, as always. We coach each other each week and we challenge each other and push each other into new directions sometimes we would never have thought of. And if you need coaching, if you would like to speak to Justin or myself, then please do reach out. Our contact details are in the show notes. Again, thank you for listening and I hope you have the most incredible day. Mm -hmm.